going to read out of the book of Psalms, chapter 103. You're welcome to turn your Bibles there. But I want to talk to you this morning about how to set a foundation for your miracle. Notice the topic is not a foundation for a miracle. This is for your miracle. In Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And, and then it goes on and says it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities. That would be mistakes, sins, your mess-ups. And he heals all your diseases. Today we're going to set a foundation for your miracle. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is for you. Now go to the other person, the other person and tell them, this is for you also. And then tell yourself, this is for me. Father, thank you that this is for us this morning, a foundation for our miracle, setting the stage for us to receive on a greater level. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you honor and praise. And Lord, thank you that my words fall, your words penetrate the hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can sit down this morning. Would you give the worship team one more round of applause? Can you do it? Thank you, worship team. They'll come back at the end of our time this morning, and they will close us out with a wonderful song today. But we're so honored you're here today. Thank you for being here. We love you. We pray for you. Thank you for your generosity also. Uh, and we do need some help for our summer programs with all of our Oasis kids. We're going to have a fantastic summer for our kids and for us. There's stuff happening all summer long that the, the fuego will be heated up, the fire, as we get through the summer, uh, not just with the heat outside, but the, the Lord on the inside. Now, I want to think I want you to think about something today. I want you to think about what it would take to receive your miracle. Many people, they want what God has without being what God is. In other words, they want what God has without being what God is. God is a rewarder, the scriptures say, of those who diligently seek him. Do you know by you coming to the house of the Lord this morning, God's a rewarder for you. You're going to have a greater week. You're going to get a greater parking spot. See, some of you don't believe that, but he's a rewarder. He, you're going to get favorite work. Somebody's going to buy you Starbucks and give you an Oasis card. You're going to be like, hey, I already go there, but hey. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. God always is looking for people who, are, who want what he has and want to be who God is. In other words, not becoming a, a, a type of, some of you are thinking, I, no, I'm talking about being the attributes of God, being the love of God, the peace of God, the healing of God. But you have to know there's a foundation for your miracle. We are a twofold being. We are, we are both spiritual and we are physical. We have a twofold nature. As a matter of fact, Psalms 103 talks about that nature, and it gives us a great insight to what God wants us to be and who God wants us to, uh, or how God wants us to live in the, in the wonderful favor that he's already given us through his son, Jesus. We're a twofold nature, both physical and spiritual. Obviously, we are also emotional, but that's threefold. But I want to take those two sides, both physical and the natural side, the physical side and the spiritual side, because the God of the natural and the God of the supernatural is the same God. In other words, the, the things that you see, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that is on this planet, God created it. 
God created it. He's the God of the natural. He created all those things. And the God of the supernatural, he creates all those things also. He's the God of both. The God of the natural and the God of the supernatural is the same God. The God who enforces the law of gravity and the laws of physics is the same God who enforces the laws of the spiritual that are found in the Bible. In other words, the laws of gravity were not created by Sir Isaac Newton. God created the laws of gravity. God thunk it. God thought it. God implemented it. God started it. He also created giving. It was not orchestrated by a man-made denomination. God orchestrated that his people would learn how to give and learn how to help. God created those things. So if God created gravity, that means God wanted us to see how he operates. If I was to drop this Bible on the ground a thousand times out of a thousand God, who, who made the law of gravity, would literally allow his law to keep in effect a thousand times a thousand. Even though that I am a steel man, that's my last name, Steelman, I am a steel man, and I had a big S on my chest, and I got up on the ceiling today, and I said, I'm a steel man. I'm the man of steel. God told me that if I jump off this building, I'm going to fly. I believe I can fly. How many of y'all know, cape or not, God's law would certainly take effect. And I would find my way down at the bottom real fast. I would not take off in flight. It's important to realize when you're dealing with the law of the natural, you can see it. As a matter of fact, the more you see it, the more you have faith in it. The more you see the law of the natural, the more you have faith in it. You have faith every Sunday that when you get here, there's going to be something for you. There's going to be a chair for you to sit on. It takes great faith for you to sit in that chair, that the designer of that chair orchestrated the chair. He made the chair or she made the chair where that chair would operate and function as the operator and owner created it and the designer created it. Every time you sit there, your faith rises because the law of gravity has taken effect and something is holding your rear end in. You are a person that operates every single day in the natural. Are you with me this morning? God created it. It's the laws of the natural. Now, the Bible tells us about another law. It's the law of the supernatural. It's the promises of God. But they have to become as real as the laws of the natural. Why? Because in that book, there are thousands and thousands of promises. All of them are relating to healing, provision, safety, deliverance, all the cornucopia of God's amazing grace. But if your faith in the laws of the spiritual do not equal the laws of the natural, it's hard to have a foundational miracle with God and understanding, or, or should I say, an understanding of the things of God. So in other words, when our faith in the supernatural becomes as clear as it is in the natural, then we really, tan, we really can do all things through Christ. And really nothing is impossible unto thee. But something happens along the way when it comes to the supernatural things. Things get in the way. Superstition gets in the way. 
Traditions of men get in the way. Listen to Colossians. The, the Bible tells us something interesting that happens that keeps us from experiencing the God of the supernatural. Colossians 2 verse 8 says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of this world, and not according to Christ. Think about that. Beware lest anyone cheats you. Have you ever been cheated? Let me see your hand. Cheating means something belonged to you and someone took it from you. Have you ever done the cheating? Don't raise your hand. But if you've ever been cheated like a business deal, there's something so disgusting about being cheated on. If you've ever had a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend and you've ever been cheated on, there's something so disgusting about being cheated on. There's something so disgusting about being cheated on. I remember when the, one of the first cars I ever bought, like legitimate bought. I mean, this guy, he was like the, the, the quick car salesman and he... He, he was selling me this car, and he was like, oh, is this all new, dude? And this is amazing, and, and this is all new, the, everything, man. It's all tight, and it's all good. So, you know, I came up with hard money and did all this stuff to buy it. I had to have Jennifer co-sign. This was before we were married. Baby girl, you know we're, I love you, right? I need you to co-sign for this. She knew she was in trouble when she got that call. It's a true story. I'm like, I want to buy this car. And, and so I needed, I needed some assistance. And I knew that if we're going to hook up, she got to know what's up. <laughs> I'm going to stay over here. <laughs> so I buy this car, and I spend a lot of money for this, for this particular ride. And I spend this money, and this car, I nicknamed it Shanita. She needed brakes. She needed tires. She needed mufflers. She needed a motor. This car literally had to go back, and I had to force them to put a new motor in this newer car, this first nice car that I've ever bought with Jennifer's help. This car, this guy cheated me on this vehicle. There's something so evil about being cheated. It's something that I still have trouble with. But listen to what the Bible's talking about. You and I get cheated on when it comes to the philosophies of men, the traditions of men. That goes with the church when they teach man-made traditions that this is for you, but this is not for you. This is only for those who are the super saints and those who are for Dr. Superducks. And these people can't obtain it because they're coming out of a different lifestyle. And that's not what God's saying. He's saying don't fall victim to people cheating you with the traditions of men. He goes on to say that the fullness of God can be displayed, that God has done something amazing, that he is the head over all principality and all power. Why is that important? Because the Godhead is superior. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, he's superior than the small principalities. I looked that word principalities up, and it means that somebody has providence over something. Somebody has dominion over something small, but it's really a subordinate to over something greater. And that's important to know because some of you are battling depression. You're battling sickness. You're battling disease. And the enemy would love to continue to cheat you, make you angry because of this small principality. Because I don't know about you, but sickness has power in it. Depression has power in it. Discouragement has power in it. 
When you, when you have lack or you have, you have these things happen, there's power in that. And that's why the Bible says he, meaning the enemy, is the prince in the power of the air that works in the children of disobedience. I would add that it works in the traditions of man, the religious traditions, the denominationalism. It starts working in these things to bring you to a place of discouragement because you do not get the fullness of God. And the fullness of God is complete and total healing body, soul, and spirit. Can I get an amen this morning? Now it's no, there's nothing wrong with saying our bodies are exposed to disease when we come into this planet. The Bible says by one man, Adam, did sin enter into the world. And when that sin entered into the world through Adam, our bodies immediately took on what this earth has to give, decay. Our bodies are exposed living on this earth with disease. And our soul, because of Adam, has been corrupted by sin. That's talking about Psalms 103. But the plan of redemption being Jesus made it possible for you and I to be 100% completely free and forgiven. And our, bodily, our bodies, our soul, our spirit to be 100% totally healed and made whole. Look at the text of the morning again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. What are the benefits of God? When you have a job and the, the employer sits you down and says, you know, we want you to work these hours and these hours, but here's all the benefits if you come into our company. You get this benefit and you get that benefit. When you get on staff at Oasis, you get moi. It's a benefit. You get to hang around with me. You get to see me and my awesomeness. And then I turn into a burden real fast. I love him, but at a distance, he wants me to do too much. But there are benefits that happen when you take on an assignment. God says, these are the benefits when you take on my son and you let him take over your life. When you do not let the traditions of men and the philosophies of church and religion and other people that have the small principalities, what they think you should live with and what they think you should take on, here are the benefits that I have for all of my children. Benefit numero uno. He forgives all your iniquity. That would be sin. How much does he forgive? All of it. He doesn't just forgive you when you come to Christ and now you're forgiven. But when you walk with the Lord, now God's out there with a baseball bat and he's angry and he's going to mess you up if you sin again. That's not how it works, friends. He forgives it all. He does it when you receive him. He does it when you walk with him. He does it when you live for him or against him. He forgives you when you live out that life. He forgives you of all your iniquities. That means all of your mistakes. They're not once forgiven. In other words, when you come to be a believer, then God forgives you. And, but, you know, you better grow up. You better mature. And if you sin and you blow it now, that's man-made tradition. That's the philosophies of men. That's the little principality that says, hey, you've made too many mistakes. Now you're not going to qualify for God's grace, God's goodness. But the benefits of God are total and they're complete or they're not from God. He forgives all of my sins. That means everything I've done before Christ, everything I've done in Christ, everything I've done during my relationship with Christ. When I confess it and when I forsake it, God Almighty with his infinite grace, he washes it away just as if I've never sinned. I'm just a I'm made holy, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. So he forgives that. 
But that's hard for people to rationalize. It's hard for people to understand that God Almighty in his grace forgives me of all of my mistakes, all of my sins. But guess what his other benefit is? He heals me of all of my diseases. The diseases that I brought on myself, yes. The diseases that life has brought on, yes. The diseases of this world, all of them. All iniquity is forgiven and all healing is possible because of God's benefits. Now, how much sickness does God heal? All of it. Not some, but all. What does tradition of men say? Hey, some of this is going to be for your, for your adjustment on this earth so you can make a greater person in heaven. See, that's the traditions of men. Hey, you're going you're gonna to really have to suffer through this thing so you, can, so you can really know what it means to serve God in a capacity of understanding. That's the philosophy of men. Praying the problem. God never told us to pray the problem. He said, call those things that are not as though they are. God never told us that, that we would have smooth sailing, but God Almighty always promised us a safe landing. He heals all of my diseases. How much of it? All of it. But understand, healing didn't begin when Jesus came on the earth. God established it before the foundation of the world. The God who created the natural. The one who created the sun, the moon, the stars. Before he ever created those things, he was thinking about you. And he says, I've got a plan for their complete and total healing. I've got a plan for their redemption. I've got a way of escape for them that they're not going to have to suffer when they take upon my son and they accept his life for their life. God initiated the healing long before Jesus came on the scene in Bethlehem's manger. He initiated it with the children of Israel. He brought them out of this place of slavery. These people were slaves for, for 400 plus years. And God Almighty in Exodus 15, he shows the love of the Father. He says, I'm the healer. And that's why I sent my son. And Jesus even echoed the words, I can do nothing of myself except my Father tell me and show me what to do. Jesus was a healer because his father was a healer and our father's a healer. How successful of a medical program for his children does he have? Listen to Psalms 105 verse 37. It says he brought them forth. That's the children of Israel. That's those out of slavery, those out of poverty, those out of suffering. He brings them forth with silver and with gold. And there's not one sick or feeble among all of the tribes. I love that. Because not only does God bring them out without any sickness or disease, but he brings them out with stuff. He wants to show you and I something so important that you need both to com complete your complete package. In other words, you don't just need one, you need them both. It's one thing to be brought forth with substance. I know we have our Ramsey's class after this particular service today. And it's one thing to have a great understanding of substance. And you can have personal wealth and success. But if you don't have healing, no matter how much wealth and success you have, you live a miserable life. And it doesn't matter how healthy you are. Because you can have the divine health of God Almighty. But if you don't have substance and ability to produce something, your life will have no meaning and it will have no purpose on this earth. So God says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bring you out of your current climate and I'm not going to bring you out with just healing. I'm going to bring you out with substance. I'm going to bring you out with stuff for you to do and things for you to bless people. And I'm going to bring upon you healing and wholeness because I'm the one who brings them out with stuff and brings healing in their life. Now, let's continue that in the New Testament because that's the Old Testament. And if the Old Testament is a good covenant, how much better is the New Testament and the New Covenant? 
The Old Testament was, if you do this, I will do that. If you heed to the commandments of the Lord, these blessings will overtake you, Deuteronomy 28 says. And that's the Old Covenant. But now the New Covenant comes, and it's much better than the Old, because now the promises of God, every one of them are yes and amen. So all you have to do is elevate your response, elevate your speech, and begin to speak it out, the Word of God, the promises of God, and receive what God has already done, because all of His promises are not if, if, if. All of them are yes, yes, yes. I like that. That's a whole different mindset. They don't mix one another. You don't mix that with, with oil and water. They don't mix. All of those promises now are yes and amen. That's the New Testament, and that's true. So we often run to other things instead of going to the source of our health, the source of our strength, and the source of our hope, which is Jesus. Surely he's done something. The scriptures say, and Jennifer read about Isaiah earlier, that God did something, and he sprung forth the blessing and the healing. But before he springs forth blessing and healing, he takes something away. Because it's not always what we add to our life. It's what we're willing to take away from our life. And some of you need to realize there are some things you need to take away from your life so you can experience God's best for your life. And God does something. He takes away our grief and our sorrows. The Bible says, surely God has borne our grief and he's carried our sorrows away. And by the stripes of his back, we're healed. Listen to those words. He's born and he has carried. That's greater than sympathy, isn't it? Sympathy is looking at it and empathy is saying, man, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for that. I feel bad that they have to carry that. I feel bad that they have to go through that. But that's not what this is. He's not sympathizing with the fact that his creation, the one that he's dying for, would have issues and poverty issues and sickness and disease and depression and doubt and insecurities. He's not He's not sympathizing with it. He's doing something about it. He's carrying it away. He becomes our scapegoat. And God the Father places all disease upon him. He places all poverty upon him. He places all discouragement upon him. He places all depression upon him. That means if all discouragement, if all doubt, if all poverty, if all all that stuff is upon Jesus, then why do you think you're designed to carry it? God says you're not designed to carry it. Jesus Christ carried our sins away. That means you're not to live in a place of man-made traditions, man-made philosophies, of small principalities that live in guilt, live in shame, live in condemnation, thinking I wasn't raised this way and I should know better. You should know better, but you don't. And you know what? Some of y'all never will. But that's the goodness of God, that God gives you the best of things and the worst of times. And he gives you the best, even though we don't deserve it. You say, well, that's too good to be true. Duh. Of course it is. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The gospel's not doom and gloom, friend. The gospel is good news. It's the good news that God has come, not to take away your fun, but to expand to absolutely decimate your pain. God has come to give you life and give you that life more abundantly. So when Jesus did something on the cross, he said something. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. We know he ain't finished. That's not proper English, but it sounds so good. He said, it is finished. 
What's the it? It's finished. Sin's finished. Sickness finished. Disease is dead. It's over. He became the substitutionary sacrifice. And when we accept him, not by joining a church, not by doing a religious ritual or a tradition of men that the church says you have to do. All you got to do is believe. I get a kick out of people to say, well, you've got a, you've got a Romans 10, 9. You've got to bring them forward, put them in the back rooms. You've got to do this. You've got to give them the walk steps to alone Christ. You've got pop, 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 pop. None of that matters if the Spirit doesn't draw you, sucker. The Spirit of God has got to draw you, and when he draws you, no one can snatch you out of the hand of God. Oh, I'm getting ready to, mm, I'm going to run to that food court and get something to eat over there. No tacos, sorry, not at that truck. But Jesus did something. He carried it away. He said, it's finished. Listen to Matthew 8, 16 in closing. The Bible says he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet, saying he has took our infirmities. He's bore our sickness. He literally took them away from you. He's already taken care of it. But see, the God of the natural and the God of the supernatural is the same God. And your foundation for your miracle has to have the same faith in the natural that you have in the supernatural. That means some of the best things you can do is zip your mouth up. Don't speak doubt. Don't speak unbelief. They say the average American gossips 50 minutes a day. Not you precious people. 50 minutes a day. You will reap what you speak. 50 minutes a day. I say turn that channel and start speaking the things of God, those things that are not as though they are. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. What the Lord has done for me. Jesus took it away. He literally took it from us. He's already taken care of it. That means the healing of Jesus is not occasional. It's continuous. But sometimes we look at it as it's, it's, it's occasional. Certain crusade comes, certain healing service comes, certain minister comes, certain prophet comes. I'm always leery of people who call themselves prophets. How about you? It always scares the bejesus out of me. I'm like, you call yourself a prophet? Nobody should call themselves anything. Let other people speak well of you. And the point I'm making in that, those things, pastors, preachers, prophets, televangelists, just go down the list. Padres, popes, priests, doesn't. You have to realize Jesus has already done the work. So now you don't need a mediator between God and man. There's only one. That's Christ Jesus. He's already done the work. He's already done it. Now, you need people for leadership, guidance, encouragement. I'm not knocking any of that. You need that. That's why you come to the house of God. But I'm saying there's a portion of maturity for people to understand. Take your words and use them as a weapon. And take the word of God and look at it in the natural. And say, as sure as I'm looking at my walls, as sure as I took my kids to school, as sure as I'm looking in the mirror, and that's real, it's tangible. So is this. So are these words. So is this God that I serve. So are these promises that I'm holding to. This is not occasional. In other words, it's not, it's not because we've set the atmosphere right and, the, and now we've got, a, we've got a conference now for miracles and we brought in the best and the brightest to share about it. Those all are temperatures to raise faith. 
but until you receive it, it does no good. The Bible says of Jesus' hometown, he could do no miracles there because of their unbelief. The Son of God, the one who was a miracle, the one who brought forth and healed all who were sick, he could do nothing in that place because of the people's lack of unbelief that they had, or their lack of faith because of their unbelief. This is important because people say, well, you know, the, the day of miracles and true miracles, they're just really not here for the day. That's not true. There's not one chapter that says that. There's not one book that says that. There's not one author in that scriptures that declare that. The scriptures say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is still a healer. And the miracles in the 21st century can be just as powerful as in the first century. The healings of Jesus is not occasional. They're, not, they're continuous. And they're not exceptional. They're universal. They're not exceptional. They're universal. And that's a world of difference. Jesus never turns anybody away. He never turned them away. As a matter of fact, he prayed for everyone who came. The Bible says he healed all who were sick. And when they had unbelief, he said, I'm dusting my feet off. No bueno here, no more. And that's how today you and I live. God can say you can have as much or as little of me as you're willing to pray to receive. John 14, verse 12, Very I say unto you that he that believeth on me and the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I've gone to my Father. Now here's an important fact. This is Jesus saying, you and I, the church, the church is not a building. It's not a tradition. It's not a, it's not a philosophy. The church is not a democracy. We're not voting the will of God. I don't care what you think. Only we care what God thinks. We're not voting the will of God. We do the will of God. I care what you think. You know what I'm saying. I like you. I'm be like, he's a jerk. No, I, you know, I, I, but I don't care when it comes to the things of God. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I pray about it, brother, which means I'm not. John 14 says, these things you shall do greater. Notice the phrase, you shall do greater. The things that I do, you shall do. It was God's intention from the beginning that he would install in every one of us eternity and the kingdom. And now he's put that kingdom on notice and said, go out and do what you saw me do, what you heard me do, what you read about me. You go and do that also. The member of the church is not a member of a denomination or a building or an organization. It's a member of the kingdom of God. And every member of the church of the living God has amazing power that's within them. Mark 16, verse 15. Go out into the world and preach that gospel and that gospel to every person. And whoever believes, all you got to do is believe and is baptized. But you shall be saved. But he does not believe he's condemned already. But a lot of people, they just stop there. And then it says, these signs. Signs will follow those who believe. Not those who are super filled, super saints, super prophets, super pastors, who are amazing. Those who believe. In my name they shall cast out evil spirits. God says the first thing that needs to happen is get the enemy out of your life. Get him out of your home. Get him out of your health. Get him out of your emotions. Get him out of the church. Get the enemy out. And the enemy starts with traditions, vain repetitions. I can go down the list. You got to get him out. And then he says, the next thing you'll do is you're going to speak in new tongues. 
That's for every believer. That's not so you show that you're saved. What type of silly tradition is that? That you're saved if you speak in tongues. What nonsense that is. That's the tradition of man. That's the tradition that starts cults. That says you have to look a certain way, dress a certain way. That's silly. And anybody who teaches that stuff is silly. They don't know the Bible. Why? They may know it, but they don't want you to know it. Because they don't want you to receive this power that God's already given you. So I'm telling you that for a reason. He says, you'll speak in new tongues. So every person here, you've already received the gift of the Holy Spirit at salvation. You want to speak in that prayer language? All you got to do is stop speaking English. No Spanish, by the way. And just let it come out. You say, well, I don't want it to be me. Who else is it going to be but you? The Bible says as they opened up their mouth, the Spirit of God gave them utterance. They'll, they'll, they'll believe. They're going to cast out enemies. The Spirit, the devil, the, the diablo, he's out. They'll speak with this new tongue. That's the prayer language. Then he says they'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Sounds to me like it's a normal function of the New Testament church. And Jesus gave the commission to the church and it's never been rescinded, by the way. He never said, well, that's for the first century. That's for Peter, James, and John. No, no. It started not at the beginning of the apostolic age. It began at the end of it. He says, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church. The elders were the leaders at that time. The elders are the pastors, the leaders, those who have established the body, those who have established the, the church. He says, call for them. Let them lay hands on you. The prayer of faith will raise them up. If they have any sin, they'll be forgiven. Anoint them with oil. They will have the healing power. That's the prayer of faith in James 5.14. Notice that power was committed not to the apostles. It was committed to the church. God says, you're going to have this power. You're going to be able to do it. The commission was given at the end of it. It's very clear. They're not to cease with the first century. They're not to cease, but traditions of men take them out philosophies of men and principalities that drive a little power but not the ultimate power they start driving the miracles out because you haven't set yourself up for success listen to John 3 John 2 beloved and wishing all things above all else you would prosper and you'd be in good health even as your soul prospers God wants you your soul right because you can prosper in the other areas when that heart that part is right Romans 8.11 says, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if that spirit dwells within you, that's the Holy Spirit, then he who raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. <laughs> oh, I like that. And that's the Holy Spirit. Shall quicken your mortal body by the spirit that dwells in you. There's a voice that's been calling for thousands of years now, friends. He's saying, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the same how long? Yesterday. I'm the same today. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm the same forever. That, that's Jesus echoing, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Friends, his presence has never been withdrawn from us. His love, it's never been withdrawn from us. His power to save has never been withdrawn from us. His power to deliver drugs, alcohol, whatever the freedom that you need, it's never been held from us. If his love, if his healing, if his freedom, if his deliverance, if his agape, if all of those things have never been taken from us, then why do we not receive everything God has? There's no reason we can't today. And there's no reason God cannot do that in your heart and in your family right here, right now, by the presence of Almighty God. I believe that healing comes on the wings of the Holy Spirit. And I believe today the Holy Spirit is walking down these aisles 
and every believer in this room. He's saying all you need is to activate this thing called faith that I've given you this measure of. And you can have all of my healing power manifest on you. I've already paid for it. It's not, it's not going to happen. It's already happened. You're not trying to find a way of maturity to get it. You don't need maturity to get it. All you need is belief. Simple belief. God says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. 